Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. I want to start here in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 in, in verse 1. The church has just been birthed. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus has recently ascended to heaven to be with the Father after his crucifixion and resurrection. And now we have these uh, initial 120 followers of Christ that have obeyed the word of the Lord and the Holy Spirit came, visited them, made himself real just as Jesus said, I promise you if I go to be with the Father, it's to your advantage because then he can send the Holy Spirit and he'll come and live with you, abide with you, and he will remain with you forever. And so in keeping and fulfilling that promise. The Holy Spirit came. We know the Holy Spirit came upon those 120. He spake with other tongues. A message was ministered. And there at the end of chapter two, it says that 3,000 came into the kingdom. Souls were added that day as a result of them being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Peter, of all people, gets up before uh, this whole congregation and explains to them what this is all about and preaches the gospel. 3,000 souls are added on that first day. And so now on the back end of that Acts chapter three and verse one, it says, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So Peter and John are still, even though they're empowered by the Holy Spirit and even though uh, uh, they have now received the Holy Spirit and we know from there they're gonna go out and be witnesses, they're still partaking in the practice of going to the temple at a time of prayer. Even though that was an Old Testament religious practice, they weren't doing it religiously. We have to understand this, that when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, you know, a lot of the things that, one of the first things he wants to deliver you and set you free from is religion just practices, rituals, uh, 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 routines, and patterns that we once held before. But many times we go to the opposite end of the road and we find ourselves in uh, in another ditch where we abandon even the things that God has in place for us, the structures that are there to benefit us. So we have to recognize that it's not just what we do that causes us to fall into religion, it's how we do it. It's how we do it. Now they're going to the temple with a different mindset, a different mentality, a different heart. So even though they have been redeemed from the law and set free from those practices, they're still maintaining a practice of being in corporate prayer, unified prayer with other believers to their God. And in verse two, it says, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. 
So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's interesting, the uh, characters that are in this story. We first off have Peter and John, who have just recently been filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in going to church, they decided not to just go to church, they decided to be the church. The first thing we see here is they didn't wait to get to church to get something. This is happening outside the church. This is happening at the gate. I wonder what would happen if the church stopped going to church and started being the church. What could happen on the way? How could God use you? And we recognize that, that, that this, this right here, what we do is not just religious formality. It's not just religious practice. This never happened before. They went to the temple and they did their little prayer thing out of religious practice, out of ritual, out, out of uh, uh, just, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. And now empowered by the Holy Spirit, they recognize that we're not just called to do something, we're called to be something. That church is no longer just an event that fills a, a calendar spot, uh, you know, on our agenda, but it's something that I am. The church of the living God is a people. Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 16 that he was going to raise up a church and that I would give the keys to the kingdom of heaven to who? The church, the people of God, the nation of God. We are his royal priesthood. We are a chosen generation. We are a holy people unto him. We're a people, we're a nation. This is not an event. This is not just a religious formality and a religious practice. This isn't something that we simply do. This is who we are. And out of that flows a different compelling, a different compulsion, a different agenda over my life. This changes my expectation. It changes my perspective of what God can do when you and I come together. And it also changes my perspective of what happens when I leave here. And that's really the thing. Because with church, there's a coming and there's a going as far as this is concerned, as far as this formality, as far as this practice. You came here one way with one expectation with a desire. The desire may have simply been to check off a box. The desire may have simply been to satisfy that friend that keeps bugging you about coming to church. So finally, you know what? I will go if you'll leave me alone. I've heard people say that. If you'll promise never ask me again, I will go with you. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the one bugging that other person. Keep bugging them. Keep bugging them, amen. I don't know what the desire was. Maybe somebody else is at their wit's end. Maybe someone else is saying, I tried everything else in church. let, Let me give God a try. Just simply out of, I need to just, let's try that. Maybe not a lot of faith and a, and a high level of expectation there for whatever reason. But now we have, uh, 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 this other man, this other man, The lame man, verse two, and a certain man, the Bible calls him, a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried. First off, this guy 
has known nothing else but weakness. This guy has known nothing else but what his weakness is or what his deficiency is. And let me tell you, everybody comes to church or everybody comes into this world with some kind of deficiency, with some area of weakness. Let me paint it to you this way. Even Adam, who was created perfectly as the dust of the ground and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, in a perfect world, a perfect environment with no sin, righteous, holy unto his God, is now made the ruler and the dominator of the earth as God set him that way in Genesis 1, 26. Gave him the ability to be fruitful and to multiply. But afterward, God said this, it's not good. It's not good. Even Adam, in the perfect environment, being perfect, without sin, flawless, righteous, God still looked at it and said, ah, we're missing something. You have a deficiency. In and of yourself, you're limited. In and of yourself, you're weak. In and of yourself, there is something restricting you. He said this, it is not good for what? For man to be alone and therefore created for him a helpmate, a suitable helpmate, the Bible says. Not just anything will do. A suitable helpmate. Put him to sleep, took a rib out of his side. He wakes up, bam, there's Eve. And he said, whoa, man. And there she was, woman, a suitable helpmate. There's not one of us that comes into this world without a level of deficiency. There's not one of us sitting in this room today that has all the strengths and all the capacity and all the resources and all the assets and all the stuff that you need to accomplish what God has called you to do. And this is one of the struggles of life is God calls us and assigns us and, and, and moves us towards greatness, towards great things, but yet we're deficient and weak and unable on our own to perform and fulfill the task by which he's assigned us and called us. He calls shepherd boys to be kings over his people. He calls fatherless people to be rulers or fathers of many nations. He calls murderers to be the catalyst of the, of the church. He's calling carpenters to be the savior of the world. So we come into a place like this, and if you get to a place like this, I can't tell you every church is faith-filled. I can't every, tell you every church will propel you to your destiny. I, I know that some churches will beat you over the head with your weakness. Some churches will beat you over your head with your deficiency. People will beat you over your head and make you feel guilty and condemned and think that's what moves you to Christ, but it's the love of God that compels us. So do yourself a favor and get in a good church. Do yourself a favor and get in a faith church. Do yourself a favor and get in a church that's gonna drive you towards your purpose, not away from it. Amen. Got to find a good church. And if you don't know one, I know one. Hallelujah. And so this man comes in with his deficiency. The Bible says he was born this way. And the first point I have for you is your deficiency was never meant to become your identity. Your deficiency was never meant to become 
your identity. But this is what happens is we, we learn to love our deficiency. We grasp our, 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 our deficiency and it becomes our identity. We allow it to swallow us up. We allow uh, others to see us that way and to call us that. We buy into the deficiency rather than finding what's the strength. And this is the thing about deficiencies. Deficiencies are just simply limitations. You may not literally be lame in your legs, but what areas are you lame? Because your lameness is your limitation. And this is what, this is why limitations are so important. Because limitations are never more highlighted than when you try to push to the next season into the new level. I never recognize how limited I am until I try to push past it. I never, I never discover my, I don't discover my weakness until I try to get beyond what I'm not capable of. My limitation is never more real to me than when I am challenged to push and press beyond it. And so the answer, if I cannot find a way to push past, I will find a way to become comfortable. If I can't find a way to push past my limitation, then I will buy into my limitation and I will allow my deficiency to become my identity. And when you're born that way, and everyone's got deficiencies, but we learn to love our deficiency and we learn to hug our deficiency and we learn to, it it becomes a soft space. It becomes a place of becoming comfortable. It becomes a place where I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to be stretched. I don't want to grow. I want to stay right where I'm at. I want to become identified by my deficiency. And so he's living a limited life, so much so that it says this. It says that he was carried there. I thought that was interesting. It speaks of it as if this is something that he was just used to having done in his life. I'm sure maybe the first few days it felt uncomfortable having somebody carry you around town. Having to have that, that, that my mobility and my ability to get from one place to another is limit. I'm literally relying on other people. I'm literally, literally relying on man's devices to get me from one place to the next. And sure, at first, that's a little uncomfortable. Sure, at first, you're thinking, man, I want a way out of this. But if you've been doing this all your life, if this is all you've ever known, then you begin to buy in to the limitation. Stretching and growing become foregone conclusions. Pressing to the next level, that's not what this guy's thinking about. He's not coming to the, thinking, he's not coming to the temple thinking about, God, what, what can I give? How can I be a blessing? How can I serve someone? How can I meet someone else's needs? Now, Peter and John are. Peter and John have worked past their deficiencies. And Peter had some deficiencies, didn't he? Sure. Peter had some major struggles, but now empowered by the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, not just in him, but upon him, he's now pushing past what he could do. Up to this point, we don't have any record that Peter has ever 
recommended healing to somebody, that Peter has ever uh, 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 desired to lay his hands on somebody or to go into what we see him about to go in. He's literally going to pick this man up by faith, pull him up by his right hand, say, in the name of Jesus, you can be healed. And the man walks, leaping, dancing, running, praising God. But before that, Peter remained comfortable. Peter remained in his life in where he knew he could reside and wouldn't have to be uncomfortable, wouldn't have to push against limitations. But now he's in a situation going to the temple, something he's always done by practice, but with a different expectation. But this lame man, his only expectation is that somebody's gonna bring me here. So now he's fully relying on somebody else, fully relying on man. And and this is what happens, is we will find others that will help us stay comfortable in our deficiency. Come on, you know who they are right now. Here's the question. Are you looking for people to carry you? Or are you looking for someone to challenge you? Are you looking for someone that can carry you from here to there? While you remain in your deficiency? While you remain in your weakness while you remain because you've bought into it now it's your identity well that's just I'm just not a morning person come on we all have self-imposed identities I'm not a morning person I'm not a kid person I'm not a faithful person come on now we all have these self-imposed identities. And a lot of times we just say, you know what, that's just part of my personality. That's just part of my character. What if that's a part God wants to work on? What if what we're calling a character flaw, God is calling us an opportunity for growth? Well, I'm just blunt. That's just the way I am. No, God wants you to learn how to speak with tact. Come on now. I know we're all wired different. We got one through nine Enneagrams in this room right now. And you may know yours, you may not know yours. Doesn't really matter. We've got all kinds of different people, but God wants to use you. But there are some things he wants you to push past. There are some things that he wants you to grow beyond. There are some things that he wants you to work on. I've heard all the the little leadership things. Don't focus on your weakness, focus on your strengths. Well, you know what? While you're focusing on your strengths, work on your weakness. But what happens is, is this man, up until Peter and John, has never had someone challenge his deficiency. He's only had people help his deficiency. Nobody else that carried him ever challenged him that he could grow out of it. That God could heal him, God could restore him, God could make him brand new, God could do something in his life that only God can do. Peter and John don't have what he needs But God does. They know how to get him there. But until Peter and John, no one's ever challenged his deficiency. They've carried it. And we all know, we know who we can go to that will help us carry our deficiency. And we also know who to stay away from that will challenge. I don't want to tell them my problem because I know what they're going to. Anybody ever had that internal conversation? I know what you're going to say. Anybody ever done that? 
I've had people tell me that. Well, I didn't tell you, Pastor, because I knew what you were going to say. Great. We're bonded. We're in agreement. You're already there. That's one less thing I have to say. Now let's do it. Let's put it into practice. What's that tell you? I knew you were going to say to, to, to love her. I, I, I knew you were going to say I shouldn't have responded. Though. I knew you should have said that I, I should have given that. I knew you were going to. Great. You knew I would challenge you, not carry you. I think we all need people in our life that will challenge us, not just enable us, not just carry us, not just keep us comfortable, that will get around us and say, hey, uh, uh, how you doing with your devotion time with the Lord? How you doing with your Bible reading? Where are you at? And you don't know. They may be asking you, but they might be a week behind too. But do we want to have people to help keep us accountable? Do we? Nothing grows without accountability. Nothing grows without transparency. Nothing grows without this level of connection. And so what is needed, what, what, this, what this passage is showing us is that we have these limitations. I'm not blank. And I don't know how you feel in your blank this morning. But some of us have just allowed the I'm not blank to become our identity. So much so, we don't work on it, we don't strive to increase it, we don't strive to grow it, and we know who to stay away from that is going to challenge us in that area. We know. We know. The man had plenty of people that could help him, but to this point, he had no one that could heal him. I don't want, I don't just want help, I want healing. You've got to come in this place, in, in, into this place every weekend, every weekend. And it's got to be a pursuit of yours to say, I'm not coming here just to get help. This isn't a self-help. This isn't therapy. I sure don't charge what therapists charge, I'll tell you right now. Whether you give in the offering today or not, that's on you. I mean, this is $150 an hour stuff that I'm giving you sometimes. I am saving you money. Come on now. This is the real deal. I tell everybody, we, we, we offer counseling. We offer, we want to help you in these areas of life. But the most important thing is we want to see you healed, not just in repetitive cycles that keep, keep you uh, relying on others. I don't want you having to rely on someone to carry you around. And this is the thing. This is the thing. Some of us are bouncing around because we rejected the challenge of the last place. We're rejecting as soon as someone starts challenging you. That's the last time we'll see you. Because you're looking for someone to carry you, not cure you. God wants you healed. God wants you whole. This is a place of deliverance where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. This is a place of freedom. So there's two types of people. Two types of people. The lame man, he's what we would apply as a consumer. He has come to get. 
He's come to receive. He's come to say, what do you have for me? He's only come merely to beg of alms. He's only come to, he, he's not coming to this, this temple of prayer to commune with God, to grow in his relationship, to, to, to become deep. He has come here to get something. And look, we all at some point in our life have to go to get I mean, look, we can't give all the time. I know you would like to, and I know you want other people to think you can. Some of us are so busy helping other people, but we're not even looking inwardly at maintaining where our life is at. And you think that it's a check mark in your life, and you think that it's a, a halo over your head, but all the while people are sucking you dry, you have nothing, eventually you've got nothing to give away, and you will burn out from that. You've got to allow God to work in you. Sometimes you have to show up and you've got to say, man, I just got to get filled. I've got to stay refreshed. I've got to keep the spirit of God alive in me. I've got to do this. I, you've got to have that. But the goal is to get back into action where I'm not living as a consumer, but I become a contributor. That's Peter and John. Peter and John didn't come as a consumer. Peter and John are walking in now, empowered by the Holy Spirit from Acts chapter two, ready to contribute to the cause. They consumed with Jesus for three years. But now it's not what can I get, it's what can I give. Not just what can I get, but what can I give? How can I be a participator? How can I contribute? They now look at a lame man and they recall back to what Jesus did with lame men. They remember what Jesus did with blind men. They look back at what Jesus did with men with leprosy. And they're saying, wait a minute. There's no differentiation between Jesus and me. I'm now not just merely a, a, a student or a pupil or one that follows or sits under, but I am now activated to do what he did. I am now Jesus in the earth. I'm his hands. I'm his feet. And if, we, if he did it, what would Jesus do is essentially what Peter and John said. They had the bracelet before any of us did. They had the what would Jesus do bracelet. What would Jesus do? Jesus would heal this man and see this man set free so he can go from being a consumer to becoming a contributor. And they even had a bigger picture in mind that was to see the kingdom of God advanced, to see his purpose fulfilled in the earth. Because we're about to find out that what happened to this man was not about the man. There was a much bigger goal, a much bigger purpose in line and in place. But we have to go from being a consumer to being a contributor. What's interesting is no matter how deficient we are, we always have something to give. And we see this here, starting with verse three. That lame man sitting at the gate called Beautiful, it says, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms, begging, what can I get? And if you would have asked this man, what can you give? He would have said, nothing. I don't have anything to give you. I'm here trying to collect 
on my behalf. I'm trying to get something for me. And fixing his eyes on him. With John, Peter said, look at us. Now look at verse five. So he, what does that say? Gave. So he gave them his attention. He gave. He didn't think he had anything to give. And see, this is where all blessing and anything that God wants to do in and through our lives begins with giving. But you know what happens? Most of the time, we write off what we can give, what we have, because we don't think it's good enough. We don't think it's great enough. We don't think it'll do enough. All I have is deficiency. A lot of times, we spend more, we, we, we give more of our focus to what we don't have, and then we miss what we do have. And God's just saying, where are you going to start? What are you going to start with? So, I mean, the first thing that, that, that pops into a lot of our minds when I say a sacrificial offering, we're going to take a day and we're going to allow uh, our faith to be stretched and we're going to give above and beyond. Most of us immediately go to what we don't have. And people think like this, well, man, if I had $1,000, I'd give it. Man, if I had $500, I'd give it. If I had, if I had, if I had. And that's not what God's asking for. God never asks you for what you don't have. He asks you for all of what you do have. And that's where the sacrifice comes in. It's not a sacrifice until it hurts. It's not a sacrifice. I think it was Pastor Mark Hankins that said, it's, you know it's sacrifice when you spend the next seven days thinking about it and thinking you made the worst mistake of your life. That's sacrifice. I should not have written that check. I should not have done this. Now I'm going to miss out on this, this, and this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do that. And that's when you know it's sacrifice. Up until that point, it's just a little extra. When we talk about sacrificial living, when we talk being a living sacrifice, that means I'm living every single day going above what I feel like I'm capable of. Remember, you are stretched. You're stretched. I thought I could go this far and I stretched as far as I could go. Well, at some point you're gonna hit your max and that's where God's wanting to get you. Because the stretching is what allows for growth. The stretching is what allows for advancement. The stretching. When we first incorporated this, I think this is our fourth or fifth year. I I, I can't even look back. I can't even think back right now. 2019, I want to say 2014 was our first November. And the the word of the Lord came and he said, it'll be called a stretch offering. He said this, when you increase your stretch, you expand your reach. When you increase your stretch, you expand your reach. Some of us are trying to reach where we've never stretched. We we were trying to reach 10,000, but we've never stretched 1,000. We're trying to reach other communities, but we haven't even stretched to Bemis. Come on. 
We've got to increase our stretch if you ever want to expand your reach. Otherwise, you'll hurt yourself trying to reach something you never stretched yourself for. I'll tell you right now, if you want to really live a life of faith, really live a life of a believer, you have to get comfortable with stretching. I mean, you ask any athlete, the the thing they hate the most is stretching. (laughs) Did you stretch? Who needs that? Sometimes the stretching is more painful than the workout itself. Sometimes it's the stretching, getting your place into a position that you've never had it before. Or you know where stretching gets really difficult is when you've grown so comfortable and you've remained in one position for so long. Well, that's the worst. You ever slept wrong? What's the first thing you try to do the next morning? Stretch. It's your back, it's your neck, so you're doing all this. You're stretching. You're trying to bring mobility to what had gotten complacent. And the ones that will hurt the most on December 8th are the ones that have grown complacent. But I'm telling you, you got to start somewhere. You may not be able to do it all, but just do just a little bit. Allow God to stretch you. Because when you increase your stretch, you expand You'll reach. This man had never been challenged to rise up and walk. This man had been made comfortable. Hey, I got it. Don't worry. I'll carry you. He had gotten comfortable depending on man. How many of us are depending on man's resources? We're not even allowing God to speak into our lives, to stretch us and to move because we've gotten so comfortable with the credit card. We've gotten so comfortable with this. We've gotten so comfortable with that. We know the bailout plans we have in place. We all have it. It might be in your marriage. It might be in your finances. It might be uh, uh, in in, in your business. We all have bailout plans. We all have things that we know can carry us. And God's wanting to stretch us beyond our faith and trust in man. He's wanting us to increase it to a faith and trust in him. Let me do a work in you that only I can do. And man won't get the glory. Peter and John aren't gonna get the glory. God's gonna get the glory. They're not gonna be amazed at Peter and John. They're gonna be amazed at God and ultimately he's gonna receive the benefit. But I wanna stretch beyond what man can do. It says that he gave them his attention. Man, so many times we're trying to feed 5,000, but we won't bring our five loaves and two fish. You remember that, right? Feeding 5,000 people besides women and children, probably closer to 20,000, started with one little boy bringing five loaves and two fish. I don't know the whole story. I kind of think that Peter beat up the kid and took the lunch because I've never seen a kid give anything. My son has never just willingly, hey, you can have this. Yeah, right, I have to talk him out of it or promise that I'll take him to the store and get him something later. Hey, give me that. I'll promise you, I'll get you a better one. But maybe, out of the kindness of his heart. On the flip side of that, it might have just been the faith of a child that said, see, many of us won't bring five loaves and two fish because we say, well, I got a lunch, but I don't know how it's gonna help anybody else. 
I might as well just keep it for myself. At least I got something. But the faith of a child to come and say, will this work? Now, Camden did do that before he got old enough to understand. Empty his bank account, empty his piggy bank. Give me a few quarters, some nickels, some dimes. We're talking about how to make a car payment. And he says, will this help? Come on, you seen kids do that? Yeah, he's okay, we'll keep him. But many of us won't bring the piggy bank. Many of us won't bring the nickels and dimes. Many of us won't bring what we have because we think, what good will it do? Yeah, I'm so thankful that man gave his attention. It says that he gave, gave them his attention, and then the next words, expecting to receive something from them. Now, I want to define the difference here real quick between expectation and motivation. We do not give motivated by what we get, but we should give with an expectation of what we get. The Bible is very clear about seed time and harvest. There should never be an opportunity where you give, give of your time, give of your resources, give of your finances, give of your love, that you should not expect God to meet that in return because he will. He's promised that he's a rewarder of those that will uh, diligently seek him. He's promised that seed time and harvest, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will. You have to be an investor. You have to look at life saying, God, I am putting in, not motivated by what you can give me, but expecting you to give me. I know that you will meet my needs because I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, verse 33, and our favorite part of the verse, and all these things will be added unto you. Here's what Matthew 6.33 does not say. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, so these things will be added unto you. That is not what it says. You seek him because you love him. You give to him because you love him. That's the motivation. The expectation is that God, I'm honoring your word, so I know you will honor your word. But many of us are defeated even in the act of giving because we have no expectation. That would be like a farmer taking seed, planting it, and then never going back looking for it or expecting a crop from it. Come on now. No, he expects to receive a harvest. Why? I honored the seed part. God, you will honor the harvest part. When you give, when you sow, when when you are giving according to the word of God with the right heart, with the right attitude, because God is more concerned with the condition of your heart than he is the, the contents of your hand. I'll say that again. God is more concerned with the condition of your heart than the contents of your hand. I don't care how many zeros are on that check you write December 8th. If your heart is in the wrong place, it doesn't honor him. Doesn't honor him. No, he's looking at the condition of your heart. It was the woman that gave the two mites, gave all that she had, and Jesus said himself, she gave more than all these wealthy religious people. 
because she gave out of the abundance of her heart. She gave with a condition of the heart that said, I just love the Lord. I want to follow him. I want to do according to what his word says. I want to honor him. As a result of that, not motivated by it, but in expectation of what God could do in return. He was expecting something. He, he, he was probably just expecting what everybody else gave him. And that gets us to the next part, verse six. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. This is the scary part because sometimes we get so locked in to how people have met our needs before or what people have done for us before that we can never receive a miracle from God because he won't do it the way other people have done it. Silver and gold, I have none. I don't have what everybody else has given you. But sometimes we reject something different because we only know one way to receive from God. We only know one method. Well, I did this and this worked. I applied this and this happened. I heard this verse and then we, I did this part and then we turned God into a formula. We turned, there's no faith involved. It's just A plus B equals C. If I do this, then this will happen and then I'll get this. No, God's wanting to move us past formula. God's wanting us to move by faith. Could God come to you and say, I don't have that, but I do have this. And would you receive it or would you reject it? What if God's answer for healing your heart was you asking forgiveness from someone else? Come on. You know how many people in the Bible were promised something but had to watch other people get blessed by the very thing that they were promised and rejoice with them? How about Joseph? How about Joseph interpreting two other men's dreams when the interpretation of dreams hasn't even worked for him? How about that? Could you help somebody else get the answer to their miracle while you're still waiting for your miracle and be excited and rejoice with them when they're blessed by it? Come on, we all have moments in our life where I don't have this and that's the box we put God in, but he's got a way to meet your need. He's got a way to provide for you. You with me? Let's finish this. So the second point I have for you is you can't allow your current limitation to dictate your future expectation. You cannot allow your current limitation to dictate your future expectation. Look, our limitations will define us. Our limitations will become the box. Our limitations will become the arena of where we expect God to move. And if God wants to move outside of that box, y'all remember Lazarus, right? They put Jesus in a box. Lord, your friend whom you love is at the point of death. But if you come and heal him, I know that he will live. That was the box. The box was, if you get here before he dies, he will live. So Jesus does what? Squashes their box. Gets rid of the box. You know what? I'm gonna hang out a few days. Finally shows up. Roll away the stone. Oh, you can't 
do that. He stinks. He's been in there four days. Oh, if you would have just been here. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. What did he just do? He just destroyed their box. He just helped them see, I want to move in your life in a way you've never seen me move. What if we got rid of the boxes? What if we quit allowing our current limitations to dictate our future expectations? Amen? So we go on. Silver and gold I do not have. What I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Rising precedes walking. And he took him by the right hand lifted him up, and it says, and immediately his feet and ankle bones. I know that we wish that was in reverse order. Strength came to his feet and ankle bones, and then he stood up. But it says that when he began to stand up, then the strength came. I'm telling you, if you will step out in faith, God will give you the strength for every step beyond that. But the first step is yours. The first step is faith. The first step is believing him. The first step is acting like it's so when it's not. The first step is doing it when it doesn't make sense. The first step is moving out of the boat, getting out of the box, and allowing God to do something with your faith. It's your faith that moves God to action. I thought I would get a lot more energy on the day after daylight savings. Y'all must be busy writing it down or something. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that's going to have to step out. Maybe I'm the only one that's going to have to activate my faith somewhere that I've never put it, and I'm just going to have to say, God, you're going to have to be responsible for the second step. I'll give you the first one, but there better be strength behind that so I can take the next one. But I know that if I will step out first, he'll bring the faith, he'll bring the supply, he'll bring the strength, and I'll be able to run and dance and leap and praise him but you gotta start somewhere. Many of us don't wanna start with the five loaves and two fish. Many of us don't wanna start by stepping out of the boat. Many of us don't wanna start with the first step. So God has nothing to bring supply to. He says, when I see you step, I'll bring strength. You bring the step, I'll bring the strength. You, bring the, you take the step, I'll bring the strength. It says that he stood it says he walked. It says he was leaping and praising God. It's the progression. You're not leaping and praising immediately. Come on, the first few steps you take is like baby steps. For this guy that's never walked, deficient by design, deficient by birth, deficiencies all he's ever known, deficiencies been his identity, to step out of his identity, to step out of his weakness, to step out of his, 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 his nature, that first step, you know, was a little tricky. And the next step, but eventually he's running, leaping, praising God. And he enters the temple with him. What are you willing to start with? Where are you willing to begin? What is your first step you're willing to take? Where are you willing to launch your faith so God can bring some strength? Worship team, if you come. Here in this last verse, verse 11. Let's go to verse 10. Look at verse 10. Then they knew. I'm not done. 
That's just helping me get there. Just so y'all know. Don't start closing stuff up. Verse 10, then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Look at this in verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John. As the lame man who was healed held on, you gotta stay connected. Gotta stay connected. He didn't abandon, hey, thank you for my miracle, see you later. No, he stayed connected, went into the temple with them. Why? Because I gotta, I gotta continue to feed this thing. I gotta continue to allow this faith to build. Many of us, we abandon as soon as we get the miracle, as soon as God answers the, the, the petition, the request, as soon as we see God do something in our lives, we walk away, we neglect, we abandon the very thing that got us the miracle. We're coming through the church doors. We're coming into this house. Believing God, man, you're, you're in a trial, you're in a sticky situation, man, I need God. And then as soon as he meets the need, where you at? Where you at? No, we got to stay connected. Hold on to, hold on to, continue in. But here's what I want to show you, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. From verse 12 through 26 of Acts chapter 3, the rest of Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 3 is Peter preaching a message to all the people that stood around in wonder and all the people that stood around in amazement. Peter begins to preach a message because miracles are the dinner bell of salvation. Miracles and signs and wonders is how God begins to open your eyes to say there's more. Opens people's hearts for salvation. In Acts chapter 4 verse 1, after Peter preaches this message, it says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they lay hands on them, not laid the hands like in church, laid hands like we're taking you out, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. You know, I've noticed about life, there's good and bad that comes with everything. Right on the back end of a miracle, you think everybody would be excited. You think everybody would be overjoyed. You think everybody would be like, oh man, that's the one true God. That's the king. That's the creator. But Jesus said, if they killed me, they'll surely kill you. If they hate me, or if they hate you, don't worry. They hated me first. I was first in line. But forsake all for the gospel. So Peter and John, they're not surprised. Jesus promised this, that this mess would come. They promised that not everybody's gonna be as responsive to the miracles and signs and wonders that you'll perform, but that's okay. But look what it says in verse four. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000. 
5,000. It says they're the number of men. Used in the same connotation when it says that 5,000 men were fed with five loaves and two fish. Meaning, we're just counting the men. Five loaves and two fish fed 5,000 plus women and children. Something small. This man who looked upon Peter and John and gazed intently and gave his attention caused 5,000 men besides women and children to come into the kingdom. What could one small act of obedience produce? I bet you that man never considered how many others would believe on Jesus if he received his miracle. He gave. What did he give? Gave his attention. It's all I can give. It's all I've had. I've sat at this gate for years, been carried here by other people simply to beg. I've never had one person in my life challenge me to give something first. Then these two guys show up and they say, give us your attention. And I gave it to them. It's all I had. I received my miracle. But even greater than that, as a result of me receiving my miracle, 5,000 men besides women and children received the kingdom. Because he finally got around someone that would challenge him got away from people that would just carry him and finally put himself in an uncomfortable position, in a vulnerable position, in a transparent position, not just someone that enabled his deficiency, but helped him to get past his deficiency, to get past his identity, and to help him see that God wants to do something great in your life and not just do something great in you. He wants to do something great through you. Do you realize that the 5,000 besides, uh, besides women and children are held to his account? What if he didn't give his attention? What if he responded and said, Sirs, I didn't come here to give you anything. I came here to get something. I didn't come here to contribute. I came here to consume. I came here not because of what I have. I came here because of what I need. Would we have this same testimony today? I believe in heaven. Those men and women that came to Christ that day, are held to his account because of his obedience to give something small, to give something minute, to give something menial, to give something that doesn't mean anything. But it produced a harvest. I said this on Wednesday, but I believe it applies here. The miracle is what God does for you, but obedience is what God will do in you. The miracle is what God does for you. But God did not just want to do something for that lame man that day at the temple. 
God wanted to do something through that lame man at the temple. God had a much bigger plan in mind. God said, I'm not just trying to get you up and walking and just deliver your life, but there are many others around here that are lame spiritually, going nowhere spiritually, have to be carried around spiritually, but I'm here to bring health to their bones. I'm here to bring strength to their life. If you will just step out in faith and do the small thing God is asking you to do, how could it affect everybody else around you? Who could be impacted? My pastor, Pastor Earl, he says it this way. Never underestimate the obedience of one man. Never underestimate the obedience. You want to stretch your faith? You want to grow? You want to increase? You want to expand? I'm telling you right now, it starts with one small act of obedience. It's where they all start. It's where every step of faith begins. It's called a step of faith. Not a giant leap. One small step. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.